If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we're going to talk about um, some machine learning developments in the world of visuals and graphics. So not necessarily uh, fine art, but absolutely applicable to the future of um, everyone, really, but Certainly, anyone working in visuals, uh, photography, anyone that works with digital images, either generating them, editing them, or using them for some kind of purpose in presentation. It might be sales. It might be design. This week, we came across the New York Times article describing DAL-E, which is a artificial intelligence program developed by OpenAI They're a U.S. artificial intelligence firm. They've got a billion dollars in funding from Microsoft, so they're doing big things. They've developed an application that allows a prompt to be written into a text field, and then the machine will interpret that text and generate a image, um, which sounds easy enough. It's fairly easy to describe. It's fairly easy to use, but... um, There's a few caveats in there, and it's, of course, an emergent technology, so there's a lot of uh, thoughts and ideas and uh, hand-wringing being spent about the future implications of this technology, of course, and we thought we would break it down for you this week. Jessica, did I describe that appropriately? Do you have any immediate thoughts to kind of clarify what we're talking about today? No, I I think you covered it really well. Um, It's a it's a pretty simple sounding idea, um, but definitely the science behind it is complicated. So um, I think I can help out with that a little bit. Uh, from what I read and what I understand, it sounds like a bunch of AI developers and researchers dumped a massive data set uh, that could be images. It most likely was just millions and millions of images uh, into a neural network which processed them, and then a front-end application was built to parse the way like text can describe images, and those two things can communicate with each other to produce images generated by an artificially intelligent machine. So there's a number of examples given in the New York Times article of images. There's like Um, And I've seen other images in other articles. There's like a Shiba Inu wearing a beret. Jessica, you said you liked the capybaras sitting in a a cubist sunset. uh. Yeah, the the fun thing about, um, I think, the blog that I had found is that it has um, 
several examples of different types of things that the program could do. And then you can go in and you can change bits and pieces of the descriptive sentence um, to get a slightly different outcome. So my favorite is the capybara. Well, actually, I think it's a painting of a capybara sitting on a mountain at twilight. And then it also produces these, you know, several different versions of a type of painting. So there's just a painting, there's a painting in pop art style, a painting in cubist style, surrealist style, style of Van Gogh. And then it also has different styles of drawings as well. So it's really interesting to see the nuances of the variations, um, both of composition and, and color and, um, and style. Something I want to point out is that uh, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen an artificially intelligently uh, generated image before. They can look kind of swirly. They can sort of have like faces hidden in all the different worlds of pixels. Um, they can look like something, but they also can look sort of unresolved. Um, these images that OpenAI has shared in promotion of this technology are much more sophisticated, as you alluded to, Jessica. For one, they look much more uh, like photorealistic. They actually look like they were taken with the camera and less like a loose approximation of a neural network a neural network's understanding of what something would look like. So a neural network can pretty easily figure out an elephant has a trunk, it has four legs, it's probably gray, um, it stands upright most of the time, uh, but it may not understand how to depict like the focal length of a camera or the angle of the sunlight at a certain time of day. This reverse image engine um, can do that. Uh, there was an image of a Shiba Inu puppy wearing a beret, and I was pretty astounded at how it just looks like a photograph. And then I looked a little further and noticed, uh, okay, so like the machine has blurred pixels at a certain location in the image to imitate like bokeh, but it's a little, it's not quite precise enough. And I was able to sort of be like, okay, this is a sophisticated um, processing of an image by a neural network, but it still gives itself away a little bit. What do you think about that, Jessica? Could you tell, could you see the artificiality in any of these pictures? I think it definitely depends on on what is being asked in the description. Um, you know, there were some things where clearly... Um, the AI was not placing things in the appropriate space based on the description. Um, like when people use the word below, like an elephant sitting below an object, right? Then it wasn't always placed in the right way. But for me, I mean, I didn't, I didn't look that close and scrutinize in the same way that you might have. I was really impressed. Like, I'm going to go back to the capybara for a second. <laughs> but there's this chalk drawing and it's it's really a simple drawing um it's a simple line drawing but it's also very sophisticated um in in kind of a minimalist approach that i wouldn't have expected um from an ai 
this application can certainly like both understand what you mean when you say things with nuance and it can also depict those things with such nuance um and like i mean i grew up playing you know video games in the early 2000s like i've i've seen the i've seen the trajectory of graphics technologies develop it's not surprising that the sophistication has arrived um but it is still kind of like a wonder to behold when you see it for the first time you're like oh wow it's it's hard to think that uh something that doesn't have a human brain could figure out what you want and what and like how to make it look um using just pixels so i guess that can lead us into a conversation about potential use cases uh because even though OpenAI is comfortable talking about this technology and is allowing researchers to kind of check it out in a preview mode, um, it's the article from the New York Times is pretty adamant that this is not a product in the sense that it's really being made available to anyone for any commercial or just any kind of specific purpose. Um, I'm sure that the people researching this technology have some kind of like, I'm sure they have some attachment to the world of digital ethics and they know that they can't just let this run free just yet, uh, but they're developing it and Microsoft is involved. So it seems prudent to think that like a consumer end use case will come our way at some point. A lot of the writing about this technology has to do with automation, because, um, of course, when I was reading about DALI, I was kind of thinking about automation. But, Jessica, this sort of sparked thoughts about accessibility for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as somebody who who writes visual descriptions for images, um, I think a lot about the words that I use um, when I'm describing things, and especially when I'm describing people and figures in photographs or or in works of art. Um, And so some of the questions that kind of pop into my mind about how I write things and then how, in the reverse, right, how it would be depicted if I were to write it into a prompt like this for a program like this, you know, what do we mean when we say male? when we say female, when we say young, when we say old, um, those the visual uh, responses to those words are so varied. Um, and so I would hope that all of those possibilities of what those visual visuals could look like would be reflected in the options, the outputs of this type of program. And like even further thinking about the default, um, you know, what happens if we're describing a person and we don't mention skin tone or hair texture? Um, what's the default image that we're going to receive? Um, or should we always be thinking about mentioning those things? Is there like a, a set way um, to refer to certain skin tones or hair textures that would be more clear and definable? Many decades after the invention of photography and the development of commercial photography, 
there have been discussions, conversations, arguments around how certain film stocks or camera technologies are kind of graded to fit one skin tone or one perspective, if you will. And now that we're entering the era of computational photography, where the human is taken out of the generation of the image, um, these conversations continue, but from a slightly different perspective or from a slightly different standpoint. Um, you're absolutely correct, Jessica. If, if a machine is programmed to visualize things based on your description and you don't describe a key aspect of what someone looks like, what is the baseline standard that it's going to fill in? Um, and I think there's probably ways to make a machine more sophisticated or tolerant or intelligent or just generally better for humans to interact with. I think that like it's an important concern to remember that like machines can't really process or output reality in the same way that like humans perceive it through our minds. Um, like replacing a mind with a machine is never going to really have the same interface with humanity that like a human otherwise would. Right. Yeah. It makes me think about times that I've worked with graphic designers to come up with either like a, a flyer template or, or an image or a logo. And some of the, you know, the best people that I've worked with, they're able to really understand and kind of into it what I what I am wanting even if I don't know what I'm wanting I don't always know like how to describe or or use the exact words to to get the type of image that I want if I did then maybe I would be a graphic designer um, and so working with those professionals who really understand um, and can take a little kernel of an idea and output something that's in line with um, with a direction that I want to go. Um, it's just hard to imagine that AI would ever be able to do that. We can romanticize it because we are humans, but I think that like you just can't uh, program empathy or you can't expect um, empathy to be fully replicable through a machine system. And you don't really have to because people have empathy <laughs> um there's you know the designers have skill and experience and talent and that's why they're able to sort of parse your needs into deliverables but they're also people and if you're not satisfied with something or if you're simply just you know if something's not quite working that you would hope you would imagine that that designer would be able to use their technical abilities in conjunction with their human faculties to understand you in some way. Um, and so, I don't know, it's a little bit of an old-fashioned sort of opinion, but I think that I just worry that, like, we'll get caught up in um, discussing and dissecting how good or how many rules need to be placed on these technologies when sometimes you can simply describe the problem by saying, like, it's a machine, like it won't really be able to, it can only solve specific problems. It can't like meet the generalities of the human condition. What kinds of specific problems do you think 
it might be able to solve? Well, I mean, at the beginning of the conversation, we discussed how good these pictures look. I just want to point out uh, a smaller, simpler version of this technology that has been recently developed by Boris Dama, an independent researcher in Houston. Uh, and this application is called DALI Mini. It has the same functionality. It's got a text field. You type something in and it spits out about nine images. Um, I personally tested its capabilities with the sentence, an orange held by a woman. And you can't see this from listening to it, but these images are not photorealistic. The faces are not resolved. Um, the articulation of limbs and fingers is smudgy. Uh, you can see hair texture, but you can't see individual hairs. So it's a fun thing to use. I think it's, I think it's a, a pretty good educational tool for some instances, but um, this was built by one person in a short period of time trying to emulate OpenAI's uh, technology. So I think that like you can see how quickly like just general computational photography, which is photographs being generated by computers, like how sophisticated it can get in a short amount of time. So the specific applications, the specific problems this technology can solve are like, I don't know, you could take a picture of somebody um, and then ask Dali to change the hair color or lengthen someone's eyelashes by like an extremely minute amount, um, super precision. You know, you could fill out someone's like facial hair patterns. You could do all kinds of things, change the size of their pores. I think those things are very easily solved by this technology. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really considered those type of um, smaller edits um, and use of of the program in that way. I imagine that like, I guess I'm a millennial, so all roads lead to Photoshop when it comes to uh, talking about images. But I can imagine that this would eventually be incorporated as a toolbar function or an applet inside of Photoshop where you're circling the cursor around an item and you just type in uh, green or hammer and the the program will just know to replace or edit whatever you have encircled and it will do it very smartly. Are there any other applications you would like to see come out of this technology, Jessica? Anything beneficial for like artists or designers, perhaps? Well, I know for me, for example, I've talked about this on Art Dirt before, um, but I have aphantasia, which means that I can't visualize images in my mind. Um, and so I could see for people like me who can't or who struggle with visualizing things, how being able to kind of type in a general idea and see an output with maybe several variations could be a nice starting point um, for creating something, creating some type of visual image. When you put it that way, it sounds like an incredible accessibility tool. That kind of leads me to the thought of like, if you were to use this as an educational tool, or if you were, use, you were to use this for the purpose of creating images for presentation purposes, it may be so easy to use this technology one day that it may need to come with a disclaimer that these are not 
photographs. Uh, these images don't depict anything that ever happened. And currently, OpenAI is kind of safeguarding this by not making this publicly accessible technology. Um, it doesn't sound like they've sold it to anyone yet. And the images that come out of the machine have a small watermark on them. I personally tend to uh, lean towards the side of regulation. I feel like I feel like we might enter an age where uh, we might want to petition the powers that be to enforce watermarks on these images. Does that sound Does that sound like crazy talk, Jessica? No, not at all. I think I think. First of all, it is and probably always has been important for us to teach people, young people, whoever is looking at and consuming images to question everything. <laughs> I mean, just because it's a photograph, even um, even early photography, you know, used tricks and, and manipulations. Um, so I think that there's a lot that we need to make sure that is happening in education um, to have people look critically at images um, and to question their authenticity. Um, but having some type of regulation would be a fantastic way to ensure that we know what we're looking at and, and how much of it is based in reality. I'm just revisiting the image from OpenAI of two kittens playing chess. Um, and I'm seeing now that the kittens themselves look pretty good. Uh, it's hard for me to even tell that there's anything artificial about them. But once you get to the chess pieces, you can see that the pixels delineating the border of each piece separate from each other, it, it gets fuzzy and kind of choppy and... Uh, a little aliased even. Um, so we're not there just yet, but uh, Jessica and I definitely suggest that you think twice uh, the next time you see an image on the internet moving forward. Absolutely. The other thing, um, just real quick, that I'll add in that I think another good use could be, um, again, as, as someone and, and people really that write, you and I both, that write descriptions, um, for images, I think it could also be a great way to check ourselves. Um, you know, when we're writing alt text for works of art or for images that we're including online, um, to be able to to add that text into a machine like this and see what the output is and how far off it is from the actual image that we're trying to describe, because people who are blind or have low low vision. Um, they rely on those alt text descriptions to understand what the images are that they're coming across online. You're right. This could be a really interesting tool to like fact check your own alt text descriptions. Um, and that in that way, OpenAI's technology doesn't see utility for the purpose of like creating an image to show someone, but rather to kind of like see how the image parses the way you describe things, um, which is such an interesting use case. And somebody should probably tell them about that. <laughs> I hope somebody has. And with that, uh, do you have any other thoughts on OpenAI's DALI or uh, the other copycats out there um, developing this artificially intelligent imaging software? 
Um, I guess I'm just curious to see how and if and when the copycats will catch up um, because there is quite a difference between what they're able to do right now. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to say I need to do some more uh, testing of like how this thing what kind of situations this thing can put uh, little kittens into. Uh, (laughs) It's always fun. And with that, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another Art Dirt. Um, In the meantime, we recommend you take a look at our events listings. And if you're able to, go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.